Welcome back to the Tank Elator Podcast. My name is Noah Rubin, and this was episode six. I broke down the Hawks, the Timberwolves, and the Bucks. And of course, before that, I broke down the NBA draft lottery. So we'll get into all of that, uh, discuss a handful of picks and where guys could go, and then break down those three teams. Dynasty players, Dynasty Outlooks for players, Dynasty Outlook for the general team. Um, it was just me on this one, no guests, so it was 72 minutes of me rambling. Uh, I probably got off topic a little bit, but if you just stick with me, I promise you that there is some good information in there somewhere uh, if you just are able to glean through the other stuff and me just rambling. But uh, here is the latest episode of the Tank Me Later podcast. Welcome back to the Tank Me Later podcast. This is episode six. I'm your host, Noah Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at NoahRubin22. You can also find written dynasty content on my Substack. It is NoahRubin.substack.com. So this is episode six, as I mentioned, uh, Dynasty Fantasy Basketball Podcast, Tank Me Later. Uh, for this episode, uh, we're going to be going through the Hawks, the Timberwolves, and the Bucks. And for the first time... For this series, I won't have a guest with me, so we're not going to start off with any sort of how somebody got into the industry or their backstory with fantasy or anything else really um, with somebody else. It'll just be me. So we're just going to kind of talk hoops, see how this goes. I've never done a podcast without a guest that I can kind of bounce off of, so we'll we'll see how rambly I get. I might get really, really off topic really quickly, but we're going to have fun doing it. Um, so time of recording this, it's Wednesday, I believe the episode will come out this Friday, um, and the draft lottery was, was last night. We uh, saw the Spurs hop up to the first pick in the draft, and the Hornets and Blazers followed them with hopping up to two and three. Houston and Detroit dropped down to four and five, and then everything else kind of stayed the same. Watching it, I was pretty surprised that, uh, or I guess more disappointed that nobody hopped up into the top four outside of the teams that were already in the top five. I know a few teams were able to leap up, but wasn't as fun to me. I think it would have been really exciting to see at least somebody from either the teams or that six, seven, eight, nine range hop up into the top four, uh, not necessarily up to one, just the hype of somebody hopping into the top four and not knowing whether they're going to get the first pick when it goes to that commercial break. I think that's always fun, but uh, in my two 30-team dynasty leagues where we do the lottery, how the NBA's draft lottery determines our also, like our draft order as well, um, I needed either Charlotte, Washington, or Utah to come away with the first pick in order for me to get the first pick and get my hands on Wemby. Obviously, Washington and Utah weren't able to leap up. They stayed put, and Charlotte came down to the last two. I was really excited. I thought I – thought, Wemby was going to be in Charlotte. That would put him about an hour and a half away from me, so I would have definitely been going to some games. Uh, definitely the first one, trying to go to as many as I can. A guy like that, I think, is it's generational. It would have been exciting to get in for his first game, but San Antonio is a little bit too far, but maybe I'll go see Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller's first game, depending on kind of what happens. Um, so we'll briefly break down the draft lottery, how – 
teams could be impacted by this fantasy impacts, things like that. I just got done doing a live show with Matt Lawson, who's at NBA dynasty ADP on Twitter. If you need any sort of other dynasty content that is much more advanced and broken down than what I do, make sure to check out his stuff. Fantasy, fantasy basketball international. They do great work over there as well, but I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you already know all about them. Uh, but we'll go ahead and go through at least the top five teams, maybe a little bit more. We'll see. Definitely want to talk about the top five because of the movement within the lottery. So like I mentioned, Spurs topped up to the first pick. They will draft Victor Wembanyama, who is arguably the most polarizing, talented prospect in the history of sports. I think it's not a definitive statement. I think anyone that says that is – just trying to get clicks. Um, but when you have a seven foot four, seven foot five guy that's shooting step backs and blocking shots and handling the ball in the perimeter, it it's what I think LeBron said, everybody's a unicorn nowadays when they come out of the draft, but this guy's a freaking alien. I mean, he's, if he pans out, he has a chance to go down as the greatest player of all time. And I don't think that there is too many players that you can say that for. I mean, even with Zion Williamson had a lot of hype coming out of college. I know Kate Cunningham did as well. I was incredibly high on him and still am, but man, if you have a, a seven foot five guy that's hitting threes, that's it's fairly valuable. I'd say, but he'll, I'd imagine uh, given kind of a slender frame, which I don't think is a bad thing. I don't think anybody is expecting him to come in here day one because of the hype and, be able to guard Joel Embiid and guard Giannis coming down the lane. I think one, nobody can. And two, to expect that out of any rookie, ridiculous. Three, his impact isn't going to necessarily be made by him just back to the basket, someone posting up on him and him playing elite defense. I don't think that's the type of player he is. And just because he's as tall as he is, I think it's unfair to just stick him in there. I mean, nobody's going to take this talent and stick him in the post on offense, but just because he can't do that doesn't mean he can't play center. So I don't know. I probably don't even have to do this much justification for why Victor Webanyama is going to be drafted in the top three, top five of dynasty rookie drafts for start or for startups, excuse me, dynasty startup drafts first overall in dynasty rookie drafts. We'll go first to the Spurs I'd imagine uh, that he starts at the four, at least to start his career. You know, his camp has talked about not wanting to put too much weight on him. I think that's something that leads to injury problems. If his upper body trying to gain strength to be able to bang down low, I think that that, you know, can affect his knees, affect his legs. You know, there's a lot more science and medical stuff that goes into that, that I don't know the details of, but basically put, He's not going to try and put on a ton of weight. He probably fits in more as a starting power forward, at least to start his career. I'd imagine that he ends up playing center after a few seasons, depending on how the Spurs fill out their roster. But as of right now, I'd imagine Zach Collins starts at the five. Victor Weminyama starts at the four. Devin Vassell starts at the two. I think some other moves this offseason could impact who starts at point guard, but if they kind of aren't able to add somebody, I mean, you know, 
Fred Van Vliet, I believe, is either a free agent or has a player option, so he could just sign there. I think that'd be a great fit to add in a guy that can play make, but can also play off the ball and has won at a high level, can shoot the ball really well. I think that just adds more spacing. Uh, but as of today, I'd say Trey Jones is starting point guard. I also say Keldon Johnson is a starting small forward. I really like him as a talent. I think his fantasy upside is limited. I don't think he does as much defensively as most people would probably like uh, out of a guy in that they're keeping around in their dynasty team. But he's still a really good scorer. I think he profiles more as a number two scoring option uh, for a good team than a number one scoring option, which is kind of what he was this season. I think it was him and Devin Vassell when they were both on the court kind of as the top scoring options. Um, I think they're both very, very good scorers, but I think that if the Spurs, which, you know, they know how to win championships, I think adding in Wembenyama gives them a great chance to do that. Uh, So I think having Devin Vassell and Kellen Johnson be more of second and third scoring options that can also do more. Not only I think that'll open up Vassell's game defensively, allow him to get back to focusing maybe not scoring 20 points per game, maybe getting to like 15, but still being able to provide multiple threes over a steal, maybe a steal and a half, maybe get to, who I'd love to say a block per game, but like 0.7, 0.8. I want to say off the top of my head, he averaged 0.4 this past season, but he has the athleticism, uh, the wingspan, and the defensive ability to get that higher. I think he was just, had to do a lot more offensively with DeJounte Murray gone. Um, so yeah, Spurs set up great. Not much more to say there. Uh, the Hornets, you know, they have LaMelo, they have some other veterans like Terry Rozier, they have Gordon Hayward, they have a young guy like Mark Williams. I'd imagine that if Miles Bridges, if that situation kind of clears up, um, that's probably an inappropriate way to put what the situation is. But without getting into that, just saying Miles Bridges ends up playing for Charlotte next season. Um, you could make a case that after this team made the plan the past two seasons before this year, that they could get back to that. And they probably could, but I don't see them getting much better than that with their current situation, obviously. So adding in the number two pick is great, but I think that they're not good enough to, for them to say, let's go best player available. You know, we have LaMelo, we have Terry Rozier, we have Miles Bridges have, borderline all-star season a year ago. Hopefully he can get back to that level of play. Mark Williams at center. Let's draft Brandon Miller and we'll have baby KD at small forward. And it could work out. I think that Scoot Henderson is the second best player in this draft. I don't think that that was much of a debate for a while. Like I get the appeal of Brandon Miller. I just think that Scoot Henderson's kind of on another level. I think it's tier one is Wemby, tier two is Scoot, and then tier three is probably Brandon Miller, Amon Thompson, and then, you know, probably five through 11 is another tier with guys at the top and bottom of that tier. But I think it's kind of how that plays out. I think Charlotte has to go Scoot Henderson. I think that he can fit alongside LaMelo Ball. I don't think either of them are two ball dominant to where they can't play with another guard. I mean, even with, you know, Trey Young and DeJounte Murray, you know, we saw them both still have success and have issues this season, but they've been able to kind of work it out. But those are two guys that are more successful with the ball in their hands. And we saw 
DeJounte's numbers kind of suffer when they were both playing together because of that. Uh, if you look at Luca and Kyrie, Kyrie's able to play off the ball, uh, but also kind of give Luca a break at times. But when Luca and Trey are on the floor, they have the ball in their hands, like they're or they're not doing anything. They're just kind of standing there offensively. Whereas a guy like Lamelo, I feel like he's not that type of point guard to where he has to have the ball in his hands all the time. Um, he can do other things that I think Scoot's the same way. I think Scoot also is able, you know, more more of a attacker, more of a slasher, I guess is what I was trying to say. Better getting to the rim, but still a good playmaker, better defensively, whereas LaMelo is more of a spacer, still a great playmaker, probably a better playmaker, one of the best in the league. So I think that's a formidable backcourt that ends up giving Charlotte you know, a star duo for years to come. I think Scoot is more of a guaranteed star than Brandon Miller is. I still think Brandon Miller is an excellent, excellent talent, has an up- upside, could be an all-star. I just... I'm higher on Scoot, and I think that he fits in well with Charlotte. Um, yeah, I think you go best player available when you're – whether you have the luxury or not, I think it's generally in the NBA, I personally feel like it's best to go best player available all the time unless you're, I don't know, middle of the lottery and you already have a position filled or whatever. But I think when you're picking in the top three, top five, you just go best player available. I mean, we saw – with LaMelo. I mean, the Warriors took James Wiseman at two. They could have had LaMelo at three. You know, even if they're trying to kind of have these lottery guys along with their team that's ready to win now and have like a smooth transition, imagine if they would have had LaMelo with this team. I don't know. I think that that'd be much better than what they've, what they're doing with Wiseman or what they did with Wiseman and having to trade him to Detroit as well because he couldn't even get minutes. Would it have potentially stunted LaMelo's growth? Maybe. But I still think based on that talent, I mean, having LaMelo with that Golden State team, I think the year after, I believe they went Kuminga at seven. I want to say, I can actually pull this up instead of just guessing because I'm right here. They went Kuminga at seven, Franz Wagner went eight, and they went Moses Moody at 14. You have... Alperin Shangun went 16, Trey Murphy went 17, a number of other starter-level talents went after that as well. Um, you know, those guys are still incredible talents, could pan out. They just haven't really got the chance to with this Warriors team. So we'll we'll see what happens over the next few seasons. I think, you know, losing the second round, there's still questions that need to be answered. Do they just run it back? But I'm not going to rant about the Warriors today. We'll probably get to that in a few weeks. Um, So we'll go back to the lottery. Uh, Third team, Portland. I really don't think that they make this pick. I think they should, but I don't think that they will. I think that they're pretty committed to trying to build a winner around Dame, even if they've been wildly unsuccessful with that theory or that attempt of trying to build a team around him. I think, the closest they got was when they went to the Western Conference Finals and got swept by the Warriors. Does anybody really fear this Portland team? I mean, what are they adding? What can they get for the number three pick? I think if Brandon Miller does go two, you can probably get somebody really good 
for the number three pick on the right to scoot Henderson. But I mean, who are you getting that is a star on a current team where the team wants to rebuild? I mean, I don't know. Let me look. I guess could Washington want to add in another lottery pick and blow everything up and go give Bradley Beal? Sure, but you're just adding in another really, really good offensive talent. But I don't think that team beats Denver. I don't think they beat Memphis. I don't think they beat the Lakers, the Warriors. I think you can go through a number of teams that are still better than that Portland team if they add Beal. Um a Chicago with a, a Levine or DeRozan. I, this is entirely hypotheticals. I have no idea how salaries would match. I have no idea if any team would even want to do this. I'm just throwing out teams that may not be ready to win that could potentially be interested in a top three pick. Toronto, maybe, if they want to actually try and rebuild. Fred Van Vliet walks. They trade away Pascal Siakam. I think that makes Portland pretty competitive. I don't think it makes them a championship team, but I think it makes them competitive. My point with all this is to say that I think that they probably should have tried to trade Dame two years ago. I get, I love the loyalty. I respect it. I get trying to draft a player in I think 2012 and trying, I mean, he's clearly good enough to be the face of a franchise, but I mean, man, he also goes on unbelievable scoring runs. I don't think he's the best. I mean, he's not the best player in the league. He's probably a, when he's healthy and playing at his best, top 10 at least. But I think he definitely has certain defensive limitations that prevent him from being a guy where you can just say, yeah, we'll throw him out there on the court and we're going to make the playoffs. No doubt about it regardless. I mean, that's proven the last two seasons. Obviously, he missed a lot of games. So it's that theory kind of breaks down, but if they actually tried to win, were able to stay healthy the whole time, do they sneak into the lottery or excuse me, sneak into the plan? Probably maybe I think that they had a chance to do and then kind of pulled the plug. I don't know. I don't think the team that they have right now is bad. I think that they're better than what their record was, but I don't think it's a team that is a piece or two away. So point with that, just start over, just pull the plug, trade Dame while, before he has too many more injuries, before he gets too old, trade him now. Uh, there's plenty of teams that are going to be looking to upgrade point guard after losing or probably w- when they will lose. I mean, I'm sure, you know, Philly would be interested. Um, New York, of course, always. Brooklyn, of course. Phoenix, perhaps. I don't know what they would trade, but Miami. I think that there's options. The Lakers will be thrown around in a trade for every big name player till the end of time. So there's certainly options for Dame to find a home and Portland to get value for him. I don't know. That's what I would do. I would start over. You have Shaden Sharp. You have a couple of other guys that have upside uh, that are still young. I mean, Anthony Simons is still young. Cam Reddish didn't work out the first two spots could it work out for a third might as well find out uh keon johnson he hasn't really got a chance to get any minutes just see what you have i mean you have the number three pick you can add more draft picks by trading away dame trading away uh Jusuf nurkic Jusuf nurkic uh jeremy grant 
maybe even Simon's Matisse Thibel could probably get you something. I don't know. I think that they don't have the assets. I mean, they're also still playing middle ground. I mean, if they were serious about winning, they would have held on to Josh Hart and said they traded him for five seconds. Is that a team that's serious about building a contender around him? And what are you getting for five seconds? You're probably not getting Josh Hart back <laughs> or a player as good as Josh Hart. So I don't know. We'll see. They, in my opinion, they have to, they just need to pull the plug. I, I think Dame deserves, he's proven his loyalty. I think it's for him and like a guy like Bradley Beal, it's past the point. Like for a couple of seasons, it was like, okay, like that's great. Like I respect that they're sticking around with their current teams, like trying to win the right way. But I think it's like a season or two past that where everybody's kind of like, okay, we don't really care about loyalty now. I mean, nobody's doing it. Just go try and win a ring. I mean, nobody's saying, see who wins the championship this year and just go join them. I mean, I don't think anybody's saying that. Obviously, it'd have to be a trade, so I don't think that's what would happen. But they can find a a team that's a couple pieces away. I think both Beal or Dane could be traded to teams that are looking to compete more. I don't know. That's my thing. Just go try and win a ring. We get it. You're loyal. You would have you would have stuck around and tried to win. You weren't going to demand a trade. I think that the teams just need to probably move on. But that's my uh, my rant on Portland needing to choose direction. I think if they don't, you still have to go Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson, whichever one's here, but there's less of a clear path to minutes. Uh, they could also, what they probably will do is try and build this win around Dame by trading number three, whoever that's to. Who knows, but wherever it is, either Scoot or Brandon Miller will see a large role. Um. Houston and Detroit moved down. I still think Houston probably ends up with Amen Thompson. I don't think even if they sign someone in free agency, like a James Harden with those rumors or a Fred Van Vliet, that they have more of a need at a different position for them to look to take a different player other than Amen Thompson. You know, I think just being able to have a point guard of the future that can play well alongside Jalen Green is a good playmaker, is a good defender. That's something that could be valuable, especially for Ime Yudoka. I don't think trying to fill small forward is smart. I know I'm high on Tari Eason, not saying Houston is, but I think without even signing a free agent, a starting five of Amen Thompson, Jalen Green, Tari Eason, Jabari Smith, and Alperen Shangun, like that's a starting five of the future. Like That's a very good team if everybody pans out. Obviously, you don't know. You still have Kevin Porter Jr., who would be great in a six-man role. I think he's been a very good starter, but I think in a six-man role where he's able to create more offense, not have to worry about you know, kind of sharing with Jalen Green, I think in a 25-minute-per-game six-man role, he could still get close to top 100 value, top 125 value for fantasy and just be an effective player for Houston. Uh, that of course is unless they sign a James Harden and then who knows what happens with Kevin Porter jr. But we'll see Houston has a good problem. They have so much lottery talent that they need to figure it out. That's not the worst problem to have. Um, now there have, they done a good job of figuring that out. Not really, but it's not a bad problem to have. Same thing with Detroit. Uh, they moved down to five after a 17-win season. 
poor Detroit. I mean, just Detroit sports in general. I know the Lions are starting to be better. Um, I think that they'll be very good this season, but nobody cares about my NFL takes. But um, poor Detroit. It's not like they just didn't get Wemby. They fell at five. And I feel like, like I said earlier, it's a, a tier of one, a tier of one, a tier of two, and then a tier of like six or seven players. So where do they go? Who knows? It depends on who do they hire as their head coach? How do they value their current players? I mean, I'd say that there's three guys that are, in my opinion, should be guaranteed starters for five years. And it's Kate Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, and Jalen Duran. Past that, who knows? I'd imagine that uh, Bojan Bogdanovich is the starting power forward next season. So if they're just looking for best fit, they may go Cam Whitmore, Osir Thompson, Anthony Black even. Probably that's probably a little early for him. Um, but if they're looking for best player available, could they go Jairus Walker, Taylor Hendricks as well? Uh, when I was talking with Matt Lawson, he was pretty set on Cam Whitmore going here. I'd say that's very realistic. I think that Detroit has a lot of uh, a lot of options here. Could they feel the trade? Sure. So we'll see kind of what they do, but they have plenty of options. Uh, the rest of the lottery kind of stayed still as far as no movement. Uh, you know, there's, like I said, within that tier, there's a clear top 11. So it's Wemby, Scoop. Then Brandon Miller, Amen Thompson, and then it's Jairus Walker, Alistair Thompson, Cam Whitmore, Anthony Black, Taylor Hendricks, Grady Dick, and Kaysen Wallace. That's probably the next tier, uh, which means that the Magic will get two of those guys. Excuse me. Uh, assuming they don't make a trade, which is not a bad place for them to be. Um, they already have eight or nine lottery picks on their team, so what's two more? unless they decide to consolidate a little bit, which probably wouldn't be the worst idea, especially if they're able to move up into the top two or three. I saw on Twitter, maybe this is, I don't know how realistic of a trade package, but somewhere like a, a 6-11, like 6 and 11, and Cole Anthony for two or three, or even four. I don't think any of those are, are bad choices. Um, they probably need to get more shooting, so... Could you add in Brandon Miller and just have this, if they're able to make a trade, assuming, have this really, really tall lineup with Miller and Wagner at the two and three, Pinkero at the four, and I guess Wendell Carter at the five. They could do that, I think. I don't know. Orlando has options by having Chicago's pick as well. Um, But... Yeah, I'm sure there will be plenty of Dynasty rookie content coming out over the next, I believe it's month. So June 22nd is the draft, plenty between now and then. And then, of course, after, because uh, Dynasty rookie drafts will be happening shortly after. So we'll there will be more draft content. Uh, but for now, we're going to talk about the three teams that we were initially going to get into with the Hawks, Bucks, and Timberwolves. And of course, we'll start with the Hawks because this is the team I'll probably rant on the most. Um, so we'll see how much time we have after. But apologies for that. I'm just a Hawks fan. Watch pretty much every game. Just genuinely 
follow them more and know a lot more about them than any other team. Uh, even if I do cover the entire league, I feel like just watching the Hawks and being more invested in them, I know more. Um, so we'll get into that. They finished 500 exactly. I believe it was like 30 straight games towards the end of the season that they were within a game of 500. They ended up in for a while there had scored about the same amount of total points as they had given up. Just the definition of an average team uh, fired Nate McMillan in shortly after the all-star break. I believe it was right after the all-star break uh, just a couple days before games started back up. Um, hired Quinn Snyder shortly after who was very successful with Utah and then didn't want to be part I guess he kind of stepped down before they officially traded Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, but didn't want to be part of a rebuild. So he kind of stepped away. It sounded uh, based on, I don't know if it was a podcast I was listening to or article I was reading, but he was just vacationing with his family for like months and then kind of got the call from the Hawks, ended up cutting the vacation short. I don't know how much, I don't really know how long it was, but it sounded, based on what I remember, like it was a very, very, very long vacation of time of traveling, I guess. But came and joined the Hawks midseason, which I feel like doesn't happen much with head coaches where they just kind of outside hire in the middle of the season. Didn't obviously bring in any of his other staff, kind of stuck with the assistant coaches that they already had. But based on reports, it doesn't seem like many of those guys will be uh, retained next season. I just think he's going to bring in his own guys. I don't think it was anything against what the guys that were there did. Obviously, Nate McMillan's son was there. I'm sure that it, Nate McMillan getting fired, his job was basically gone at that point. But I'm sure he'll be able to land on his feet as will the rest of the guys. I know Joe Prunty was the guy that kind of was the interim head coach for a few games. Widely respected assistant coach will join a very good staff, but. Uh, Quinn Snyder is going to bring his own guys, try and input more of his philosophies. I think having a full off season with Quinn Snyder kind of working out, getting in his system with the guys that they have. I think it's, it's too early to evaluate what the Hawks are. Um, you know, they had success in the plan. They beat the heat. Uh, they struggled mightily in game one against Boston, ended up going down 3-1, went into Boston without DeJounte and won, and then lost in six to the Celtics, um, who, I mean, I would imagine are a title favorite. We'll see how games one and two, I guess by the time this comes out, it'll just be game one. See how that goes uh, against Miami. But I think they did a good job considering it was a new head coach middle of the season. Um I don't know, trying not to be biased, but I, I feel good about the future. Um, they definitely will make some moves this summer, this offseason. So we will um, kind of get into that when we talk about some more individual players. But I think that they uh, are making steps in the right direction. And I think it will benefit guys from a fantasy perspective um, as well as just the team. I think that they have more talent than a 500 team, or at least did this past season. We'll see what what they have left after this summer. Um, but a lot of guys had down seasons. I mean, Trey Young 
I think the second worst shooting season of his career. Only one worse was his rookie season. John Collins, three seasons ago, shot 40% from deep and was, I believe, seventh in fantasy basketball and nine-cat scoring. Just had probably the worst season of his career. Um, just couldn't shoot the same way he could a few seasons ago. So his value is at an all-time low. Uh, despite, I think he's improved defensively, but he was basically a non-factor at times offensively. Uh, DeAndre Hunter, they signed him to, or extended him with the intentions of him being their long-term starting small forward. But, I mean, he's a good mid-range shooter, great mid-range shooter. Um, he can hit open threes. He does a pretty good job. I think he's a good defender. I don't think he is a good defensive playmaker in the sense that he doesn't force many turnovers, doesn't get steals, doesn't really block shots. He's just a very good defender. And I think he's not able to reach his defensive potential because of some of the defensive limitations of Atlanta's backcourt. I think everybody knows about Trey Young and that most of his value comes on the offensive end. He's He was at least able to put in effort defensively at times. And I think that's really all you can ask for. Um, he's a smaller guy. He's not a great He's never going to be a great defender. Um, he's able to get steals, but he's pretty much a defensive liability. Liability, um, even if he was a little bit better. So I'd say he's. I mean, his peak, his defensive peak, would be average to below average defender. And I think at times during the playoffs, we saw him play average defense or make some plays here and there. So but there's no reason to talk about Trey Young's defense that much on this podcast. There's just not. Um, DeJounte Murray, great defensive playmaker. I think the amount of steals that he gets kind of overhypes his on-ball defense. Um, I don't think he's the type of player all the time where you say, we need this stop. Let's put DeJounte Murray on him. I I just, he's a very good defender or he's a good defender. But I think most of his defensive value comes in his ability to get steals. Whereas DeAndre Hunter is a guy that you say, okay, I don't want this guy scoring. Let's put Hunter on it. But because of other defensive limitations from the team, he hasn't been as successful as far in comparison to how good he actually is, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So, um, but yeah, we'll, before I just keep going down the list of every player on the roster will actually kind of talk about fantasy outlooks for the team. Um, we'll start with DeJounte Murray, which I think, you know, at this point he was incredible two seasons ago for the Spurs uh, first round fantasy finish, but he's not going to get back to that with the Hawks. He's just not, uh, just not going to have the ball in his hands enough playing alongside Trey young, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think if, you're able to kind of take him as a dynasty player or as a dynasty asset and trade him um, while he was still with the Spurs and get like the value from that time, then good move. But I don't think he's probably still a top 50 guy with the Hawks, but he's not going to get the same amount of assists. Uh, they're not going to force feed him rebounds because they have Clint Capella and Yunyeko Kongwu and John Collins and other guys that are good rebounders. 
Um, he just hit his career high for threes, and that was playing for Nate McMillan, who is very pro mid-range. Um, but Quinn Snyder was practically begging them to just shoot more threes. And I think at times in the playoffs, DeJounte really took that to heart and hit more threes. Uh, he hit one point or took more threes. He hit 1.9 per game this season. Wouldn't shock me at all. If he gets over two or even two and a half, I think the Hawks will shoot a lot more threes after shooting. I believe they were, I don't remember the exact final numbers, but bottom five and three point attempts. I want to say around there towards the bottom of the league in three point attempts. I think they'll shoot more threes next season. Um, I just think that's what Snyder will want to do. So Murray's probably a top 50 guy. Um, assuming that they stick with this backcourt, the Hawks have kind of mortgaged, kind of mortgaged their future by trading away future picks. Even if those, that trade isn't impacting them yet. I think it is 2025, 27 and 29 firsts. So the Hawks will have another draft before they start giving up their picks to the Spurs. And then 2028 will be a pick swap with the Spurs. So if this ends up blowing for up, blowing up in the Hawks face, Spurs will be able to add some very good talent alongside Victor Wembanyama, which is just great, isn't it? Spurs are going to be good. But um, next player we will briefly talk about, Clint Capella. I'm pretty sure everybody kind of knows what you're getting from Clint. Um, probably about 10 points per game, 12 rebounds per game, block and a half, bad free throw shooting, good field goal percentage. I guess the question really here is, is he starting again next season? You know, he averaged 26.5 minutes per game this past season as a starter. So they're already starting to, it's pretty much a timeshare. I think at times it, it was pretty even with minutes, I guess, over the course of the season. Capella averaged a few extra than Onyeko Kongwu. But even if Big O ends up being the starting center, Capella's probably assuming that they don't trade him, just move him to a backup role, which who knows whether that happens or not. But if he's in a backup role for the Hawks, probably still seeing 20 minutes per game, still getting eight to nine rebounds, if not double figures, I think there was times where, I mean, his minutes were in the twenties, but it seemed like even with limited minutes, he was still dominating the glass. I think if he goes into a game knowing, okay, I'm only going to play 20 minutes per game, he can be more aggressive on the, on the glass defensively, not worry as much about fouls. So he can still be a very effective fantasy player, still be a top 100 guy. I mean, we saw Onyeko Kongu be a top 100 guy off the bench this season. No reason to think Capella can't do that. Um, if they trade him to a different team, I'm, I would assume that he starts. I think he makes $23 million next season. So I would assume that a team isn't going to try and bring in that contract without the intention of starting him, which means he's probably going to do what he did this season, you know, 26, 27 minutes per game, maybe more on a different team, depending. I don't know. He was fourth round finish. He's got a, he's probably got, I don't, let me see his exact age here, but he's definitely got a few seasons left. I mean, he's 29, so five seasons left, maybe more, maybe less, but still going to be an effective fantasy player if you are able to play with his kind of limitations of knowing he's not going to shoot a ton of free throws, but his percentage is going to be bad. Of course, no threes, no assists. 
low turnovers, I guess that's another pro, but you got to know what you're getting from Capella. And as far as the other center, Okongwu, um, he was after the trade deadline, played 21 minutes per game and was 54th in nine cap value. I think even if he's still playing behind Capella next season, he's going to be very, very effective in nine cap. I don't think he's going to approach top 50 value while coming off the bench over the course of the season. But Quinn Snyder seems to like him a lot. I mean, he was running uh, ATOs for him to get threes, and he hadn't really ever hit threes. But he's he's not like Capella where he doesn't have any touch on his shot. Like he has, he already kind of expanded his game out to the mid range, and now it looks like he's going to start hitting threes. He's not going to be Carl Anthony Towns or Brooke Lopez, where he's hit multiple threes per game, but. I think the threat of him being able to hit an open jump shot is, excuse me, just so much more of a dynamic uh, than what Capella could offer. I think, in my opinion, part of the issue with the Hawks' offense and why John Collins was so bad is because they made him into just a catch-and-shoot player. And two, two, three seasons ago, that was fine. He could do that. He was hitting them. He just wasn't hitting them this year. But he couldn't really play pick and roll either because where does that leave Clint Capella? You have to use Capella in pick and roll. At least John Collins can hit a mid-range. He used to be able to hit a three. Hopefully he can get that back. But Capella is very limited. He's a rim runner. He's great in the pick and roll. But I think just having those two together just kind of limits what both of them can do. Um, so, you know, Kong Wu stepping into that starting role doesn't help John Collins either. So I love Kong Wu's upside. I think that if he's a starter and even if he's seeing less than 30 minutes per game, he's still going to be so, so good. If he can get over 30 minutes per game, an elite fantasy player. He's got so much upside. And I think playing alongside guys like Trey Young and DeJounte, he's going to get points in the pick and roll. He's going to get high percentage shots. And defensively, they're gonna, or at least Trey Young is going to get blown by plenty. So that's block opportunities. He's, I don't think he's as good of a rebounder as Capella, but he can get there. A lot of upside there. Uh, for John Collins, I love John Collins. Probably, if not my favorite Hawk of all time, at least up there. Um, so I'd love for him to stay in Atlanta. But I think that what would be best for his career at this point is a new situation. I don't know exactly what that would be at this point. I think that if he can end up being, if he can not necessarily be a 40% three-point shooter again, but if he can be better than, I think it was 26% this season, if he can just get back to being an, like an average three-point shooter, maybe Indiana would be a good spot where he can probably run some pick and roll with Tyrese Halliburton, play alongside a really, really good point guard. Uh, but also still be able to space the floor. That's assuming they don't take a power forward in the draft. Dallas would be a great spot, um, but I don't know exactly what the Hawks would get uh, from Dallas. I'm sure there's a couple other spots that I haven't thought of yet that would be pretty good. But I think if if John Conson get a reset, get back to shooting the ball pretty effectively and be more of a – pick and roll option for a team, whether it's the Hawks or not. I think he can get back to being a very effective fantasy player. I don't think he'll get back to being seventh or 
first round, second round. I mean, not necessarily close to that, but I think in the right situation, he's still pretty young. He can bounce back and be top 50. I think it's possible. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I mean, he messed up his finger pretty bad. I don't think that's necessarily the reason that he wasn't able to hit shots. It was supposed to be healed, but I'm sure it impacted his shots. I think he was able to get a little bit more of his shooting touch back really in the postseason and that series against Boston. He had a couple games where he was hitting threes. So if he can just get back to that, I don't know. I'm not going to give up on him. But uh, Trey Young finished 51st in nine catch, shot 42.9% from the floor, hit 2.1 threes, which were both his worst since his rookie season. I'm not saying he has to get back to, I believe it was 48%, maybe it was 46% uh, shooting in order to be an effective fantasy player. Let's see, it was 46 So it was about a 3% drop this past season. He doesn't have to get back to 46 or have a career shooting season for him to be back to first and second round value. But I think playing for Quinn Snyder will help with this, but hitting more threes, shooting more threes, I think will help. I mean, we've seen him average, and he just averaged 10.1 assists, which was a career high. First time averaging double digits after three straight seasons, averaging over nine. I think it's it's within the range of possibilities for him to maintain that passing level, hit an extra shot per game, I mean, take more shots, but hit an extra three per game. Getting close to averaging 30 and 10 is realistic, and I think that that's pretty pretty unheard of um, in the NBA. So I don't really care that much about a down shooting year with turmoil with the head coach. New head coach comes in, and Trey Young finally seems to get along with the head coach, playing alongside DeJounte Murray for the first time. I think that they'll work out the kinks over the summer. I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to go shoot 50%, but I expect him to be – much better next season. Um, you know, AJ Griffin and Jalen Johnson. I think Jalen Johnson's minutes are pretty limited down the stretch, and AJ Griffin was basically out of the rotation, but they're good enough that they should be kept stashed in dynasty leagues. They have both have so, so much upside. Jalen Johnson just is a pure athlete that can also be a playmaker and block shots, and then A.J. Griffin as a shooter and scorer, solid defender. I think they're still so young, and it's hard for them to crack this rotation because the Hawks are a very deep team, have a lot of good players, um, or at least players that, I guess, are starter caliber, rotational players that despite, you know, I want to say at one point A.J. Griffin was definitely a top 10 talent at least, but slipped to sixteen. Jalen Johnson was like a top five, top six guy before his situation at Duke. Hawks got him at 20. So is isn't a clear path to minutes despite their talent, but I think that comes eventually, whether it's with Atlanta or a different team, I, they will eventually pan out. I, I believe in them as fantasy players. Great guys to stash, great guys to target now um, with, I mean, minutes could open up next season if they trade John Collins and, or Bogdan Bogdanovich gets moved. There's moves will happen this summer. So we'll see what they're able to do. Um, 
who could the Hawks draft at 15? It's really hard to say like what they should be looking for. I think best player available is what they should be doing. Um, just because, I mean, I don't, I don't think they should go point guard, but that's probably about it. Maybe not center. We'll see who's available there. It's kind of unclear. Probably won't even talk about it for the next two teams either. Um, I'm not going to give a name until we get closer to the draft. Then maybe I'll have a name. But I'll say not a point guard, not a center for the Hawks. Basically anybody in between you can find minutes for. Ideally, I guess a small forward. I feel like I'm, I don't love DeAndre Hunter. I don't dislike DeAndre Hunter. For fantasy, I don't think he's very good. But I think for basketball, he's good. So we'll see who's available. Um, but we'll go into the next team. I don't think I'll be able to get as in-depth with the next two teams uh, partially because I feel like they have less intriguing players in Dynasty and partially just because I can rant about the Hawks more than I can rant about anything else. So thank you for sitting through that if you did. So second team we'll talk about is the Bucks, who had the best regular season record in the league, ended up losing in the first round playing without Giannis for, I think he played like 12 minutes in game one, didn't play in two or games, game two or game three. Maybe he either, I know he played in game five, may or may not have played in game four. I don't remember off the top of my head. So I'm going to go do a quick look. And he did play in game four, but the Heat were still able to win. So, they actually didn't win the game. Well, it's because Jimmy Butler scored 56, but they didn't win a game when Giannis played, which is kind of crazy to, to think. Obviously, he didn't finish game one, which they lost, and then they lost by five in Miami, and then by two at home in game five, all with Giannis playing um, in overtime. But still... Uh, Giannis is one of, if not the best player in the league. It's going to be an incredibly intriguing coaching job for somebody to take over after they fired Mike Budenholzer, which I just, I don't think that they should have done that. I'm not saying coach Bud's the, the best coach in the league, but he won a championship two seasons ago or three seasons ago, depending on how you, is it already one season ago is last season. I don't know, but he won a championship. And then they lost in seven to the Celtics without Chris Middleton. And then, yes, I get losing in five games to the Heat, who are now in the Eastern Conference Finals, by the way. Losing in five games with Giannis, or basically only two of them, coming playing through an injury or coming off an injury, however you want to look at it. I think it was a little bit unfair. I think that there aren't many head coaches that, get the benefit of the doubt or get grace when things don't go well. I think head coaches are oftentimes the scapegoat uh, for when things go well and or things don't go well. I mean, uh, I think I want to say that there's Greg Popovich, Eric Spolster, Mike Malone are the only coaches in the NBA that have coached longer than five years. I'm going to double check that. Excuse me, Steve Kerr. Of course. So when you win championships, Unless you're Mike Malone. When you win championships, multiple, you get to stick around. Taylor Jenkins, four years. Tom Thibodeau, four years. 
I don't think anybody's calling for Taylor Jenkins' job. And I think that Tom Thibodeau had the Knicks not been as successful or lost in the first round of Cleveland, probably would have been gone. And then we have five more head coaches that have been for three years. Um, I don't think any of these guys are in danger of losing their job, except maybe J.B. Bickerstaff, but the team has already said they're not planning on moving on from him. And then you have a bunch of guys that have been that just either finished their second season, just finished their first season, or Ami Udoka, who hasn't started his first season for Houston. And then obviously Detroit still has a head coaching vacancy. The Bucks still have a head coaching vacancy. The Suns, the Sixers. I don't think maybe Doc Rivers was fairly justified. I mean, despite their talent, they just weren't able to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. And I think that one may have been a bit more justified. I don't think Doc Rivers is a bad coach at all. I mean, great percentage in the regular season. But if you look at the the blown leads, I think it's, it's justified. But uh, Monty Williams was also another surprising one. I don't think anybody else comes in with – not anybody else, but not many head coaches would have been able to beat that Denver team with no Chris Paul and no DeAndre Ayton for game six. I mean, they lost in six. It's not like they got swept. They made it out of the first round. I don't know. It's kind of kind of hard to justify that one in my eyes, but that'll be an appealing head coaching vacancy. I mean, come coach, come coach our team. We have – Devin Booker, we have Kevin Durant, and we're going to probably try and trade DeAndre Ayton and Chris Paul and get you more talent. It's a great job, but enough of that rant, me getting off on a tangent. The Bucks, depending on who they hire, I don't even think it depends on who they hire. They will be one of the top teams in the East again next season. Drew Holiday, Giannis, and Chris Middleton are kind of their three stars, three all-stars, three players that have at least played in the All-Star game over the past few seasons. Drew Holiday was an All-Star this year, but he'll be 33 next season. He's been very, very good fantasy basketball. Been a top 40 guy for the last five seasons, top 75 every season aside from his rookie year. There's no reason to think that he's not going to at least be top 50 next season, but he's he's getting up there. He's 33. He's probably got two seasons left for – or maybe three seasons left to try and help them win a championship for, for fantasy. It wouldn't be shocking if his production goes down starting next season. But one of the best defensive players in the league, I don't think it's fair to call him the most underrated, but maybe underappreciated at times. I think what he does is at an all-star level, but it's different than other all-star players because he's not leading a team in scoring or leading it like one of the league leaders in assists. He just plays very good basketball. Um, but I'm not too concerned about him for fantasy. I think he's going to continue to be good for at least two more seasons or about two more seasons. And then it, it's just to the age where you, you get close to retirement. Um, Chris Middleton kind of dealt with a knee issue all season was in and out of the lineup when he played, he wasn't really himself or was coming off the bench for a while. Finally, towards the end of the season and in the playoffs, he was at least starting and playing starting minutes, but he'll be 32 next season. Um, if he can put the knee issues behind him, he can get back to being a top 50 guy. 
if he can't, or if the knee issues just continue to bother him, it's, it would be shocking for him to just, I guess, kind of not be a top 50 guy or top 75 guy. If he's, or just a guy that even if he's that good, it's, he's only playing 50, 55, maybe 60 games just because of rest days, injury management, and then lingering injuries that just kind of happen. Hopefully he's able to put it behind him and reach the 65 game threshold that I think will be pretty standard for, I guess, measuring someone's durability now that that's kind of what you need to hit in order to be considered for awards. But Middleton's a talented scorer. I think he can get back to top 50 if he's able to stay healthy, but that's pretty much a big if. Um, if we go to Giannis, he finished 119th in 9-cap because he averaged like four turnovers per game and took like 13 free throws per game and made less than 60% of them. But if you take out free throws and turnovers, which I think many good dynasty teams already have at least one or two guys that are high, high turnover guys. So nobody really cares about turnovers at this point. Even in nine cat leagues, like it's basically eight cat for how people approach. But for free throws, I think it's just something where you just kind of have to deal with it and punt it a little bit. I mean, there's other effective fantasy players like Nick Claxton, Walker Kessler that, that can't hit free throws either. I mean, Luca's even a bad free throw shooter despite he's, I mean, he's seems to be better at setbacks than free throws, which is pretty interesting, but not exactly percentage wise, but I think if you can deal with that, I think Giannis might be better from the free throw line next season, but better for him is what? 62%, 63%. I mean, I can, I'll pull up his career high from the free throw line. He's at 72, excuse me, 72% of the previous season. So if he gets back to 72%, yeah, actually, I was totally wrong with the entire time me saying that. He shot 64% last season, so he's better than I thought. Apologies for not looking that up before. But can he get back to over 70%? Uh, I won't expand too much on that after, uh, after getting that totally wrong, but I'm glad I was able to correct myself. But... Giannis, despite what his value may look like, he's going to be one of the most valuable players in Dynasty Leagues for a while, for at least probably five more years. I mean, he's going to be contending for championships, contending for MVP, contending for Defensive Player of the Year. He already posted on Twitter that he's tired of the disrespect, um, no matter how corny he is um, with his in his interviews and his dad jokes and his winner-winner chicken dinner. He's still one of the best players in fantasy and the league. Um, we'll look at Brooke Lopez. Who's He's 35, um, but he just had one of his best fantasy seasons. He's an elite shot blocker and also hits threes. Not many players that do that. Only a couple and they're all elite fantasy players. How quickly does he fall off a cliff for his fantasy value? I mean, two more seasons next season. Does he have another season? It's hard to say I wouldn't be buying Brook Lopez unless you can get him for cheap and you're ready to contend. It's probably the only scenario in which I'm looking to buy Brook Lopez. Um, and it may not even be a bad idea to sell him unless you're ready to contend this season, in which case there's no reason to give up a guy that could 
average two blocks and a one and a half three pointers. Uh, Bobby Portis, basically six man streaming superstar, but I mean, with Giannis and Brook Lopez playing there, um, he's the six man and his value will be limited. He was outside the top 100 this season. If he gets a starting role, whether it be in Milwaukee or elsewhere, he could be a top 75 guy, but there doesn't seem to be a clear path for that right now. Um, then the the stash guy for the Bucks is Marjan Bochamp. Hope I, I hope I pronounced that correctly. Apologies if I didn't. Played some minutes early when they had injuries to Chris Middleton and Pat Connaughton, and before they made trade, or I think Joe Ingles was even playing at that point either. And then they traded for Jay Crowder. So when everybody was healthy and after the trade deadline, Bochamp was entirely out of rotation. But I think he's a guy that's worth stashing. He, sh- he flashed and flash some potential fantasy value in the minutes that he got. I don't know if it happens with Milwaukee, and I don't know if it happens anytime soon. It might be four years down the road. But I think he's talented enough that where he's worth stashing at least. Um, and the final team we'll talk about is the Timberwolves, who made one of the biggest splashes in the league by trading for Rudy Gobert. And then I think pretty quickly – with this team, with D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, and Rudy Gobert, Jade McDaniels proved himself to be one of the best defenders in the league. Pretty quickly turned out to be a clunky fit. I think on paper, it's great. You have this twin towers of Cat and Gobert that in the 90s would have been, well, maybe not directly with their play style, but two seven-footers in the 90s would have been great. I'm not sure how Cat would have held up in the 90s now that I'm thinking about it. But um, I think his defensive limitations trying to guard on the perimeter just because, I mean, team's power forwards are not power forwards from 10 years ago. They are basically small, tall, small forwards, or not even necessarily that tall, just small forwards basically now. Anybody who's big is a center. So Carl Anthony Towns trying to guard me. If you look at look at the Suns now, Kevin Durant's their power forward. I guess you could have said like Torrey Craig, but I guess when they were starting Josh Okogie, Kevin Durant's their power forward. I don't think Carl Anthony Towns was ever going to be able to necessarily guard KD, especially one-on-one. I think in that scenario, obviously, Jaden McDaniels takes KD. But I think just looking at matchups on paper, Cat trying to guard teams that run more players in the perimeter, I think, ended up – not working too well, but they didn't even have a chance to really work through it because Cat ended up missing 51 games with the calf issue. Um, they traded D'Angelo Russell at the deadline. Um, they were saying there was reports that said they wanted more maturity at point guard. I think they got that with Mike Conley. Um, I think it's a pretty interesting shot, shot at D'Angelo Russell, but whatever. Conley ended up working out pretty well, played really well in the playoffs for them, had in some big games, hitting threes. I think Conley will continue to start for at least a season or two. I don't know how good he'll be. I mean, he's 36 now, so is he a guy that can probably play till he's 39? He could. I think that his play style is very low to the ground, doesn't really require much athleticism. So as that continues to go away for him, I don't think it's going to be an issue. He's a smart player. He can shoot. I think he's a guy that can play until he's – 38 or 39, but people's like your play just goes down. I mean, even Chris Paul and LeBron, 
they're 38 and 39, I believe, right now, or maybe they're both 39. Struggling for like Chris Paul struggled to stay healthy. LeBron has struggled more over the past few seasons to stay healthy than he ever has. And even if there's still times where Chris Paul is able to get 10 assists and LeBron's still able to put up, I think he was an assist away from a triple double last night at the time of recording this um, in game one against Denver. But they, they're just not the same player. So can Conley be an effective playmaker, solid defender, and hit threes for a couple more seasons? Sure. But I think his fantasy value is just going to continue to decline as he gets older. I don't think that's a knock on him at all. I think it's just what happens. Um, Anthony Edwards, this is the face of the franchise. It's not Cat and Ant. It is Anthony Edwards. And they also have Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert. And then they have other players as well that are very good. This is Ant-Man's team. Um, year two, year three, were both top 50 seasons. There's not many guys that can score over 20 points per game, hit multiple threes, and still average a steal and a half and a block per game. He's not 22 yet. And the other day, he said that he's chasing Michael Jordan to be the best shooting guard of all time. And I feel like you don't really hear players anymore say who they're chasing or that they're motivated by past players. I don't know if that means anything, but I thought it was interesting. I mean, most players think nowadays it's just focused on being the best insert player name that you can be just being yourself. And that's a fine mentality. I don't think it's anything that Anthony Edwards has better that he's chasing Michael Jordan. Just think it's interesting. Just decide to throw it out there, but he's able to get close to that. I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody gets close to Michael Jordan successfully, but I'm saying if he's able to average 28 points per game, a steal and a half, maybe two steals, over a block, multiple threes, five rebounds, five assists-ish, shoot a high percentage. I mean, Anthony Edwards is going to be a fantasy superstar for the next decade, at least. No doubt about it. Um, Jade McDaniels. Kind of had a breakout season. I think uh, when they traded Jared Vanderbilt, there was a lot of questions about, you know, maybe not a lot of questions. Maybe I was just curious, but I thought they traded away their best defender, but I'm not sure they did. Jade McDaniels finished just outside the top 100. Nine cat, average 1.43s, 0.9 seals, 1.0 blocks. There was two players to average at least one three, one steal, one block. Joel and, excuse me, just two. Joel and B and Jaron Jackson. And I think if McDaniels can get there, I think that's not unrealistic. And I think he ends up being a top 100 guy. He's still very, very young. He's, I mean, I don't think, I believe he was a snub from an all-defensive team. I think he definitely could have or should have been in one. Um, But he's just a versatile fantasy player that can contribute in multiple ways. I know a lot of guys are specialists and that they're able to get a steal and a half or two steals and, or two blocks and or three or four three-pointers. And he's not high volume in any of those, but he can contribute all three, which is, I think, especially outside of the superstar range of guys that are able to do that. It's pretty valuable. Cat, um, I think, came into the league, basically was a fantasy superstar immediately. I think he was 12th and nine cat as a rookie, which is pretty unheard of. I think we'll see if Victor Wembanyama is able to reach that. Who knows? Um, I think 
was kind of a lost season for Cap with the calf injury that caused him to miss 51 games. I would assume he's better next season, kind of a back bounce back year after, you know, losing in the first round and questions about how they fit in the front court alongside Gobert. It's also not his team anymore. It's just not, he's the second scoring option. So I still think he's a top 25 guy. He's still young enough that, or I guess he's probably not as young as I'm, I'm thinking he is now. He's, let me double check this. I'm pretty sure he's like 26 or 27. Yeah, he's 27. He's going to be 28 at the time the next season starts. So maybe he's he's definitely older than I realized. It's the second mistake I made today. Um, but there's no reason to think that he won't be a top 25 guy next season, at least. I mean, he was being drafted in redraft leagues, first round, probably top 10. Um, even with Gobert there. So I would assume if he's able to stay healthy, and which I don't think this is an injury, it's not an, like a knee injury that's going to keep coming up and coming up and coming up. Like I would assume he's healthy next season, um, or at least more healthy and doesn't miss over half the season. And if that's the case, top 25, top 20 is very realistic, even as a second option. Um, Rudy Gobert, I think has worst fantasy season since year three in the league this past season. Still very good rebounder, very good shot blocker, shoots a high percentage, doesn't do much else. I think what he does is enough for him to be top 75, maybe a top 50 guy, but with a healthy cat all season, I'm not sure that he uh, is able to reach that, but I think top 75 is a pretty safe floor. He's also getting older. Uh, he's not the defensive player of the year candidate that he once was. He'll be 31 at the start of next season. So, you know, I don't think he's getting any better, but I think he's got at least a few more seasons where he is a, a very good or a good fantasy player, top 75, uh, before his value probably tanks a little bit or a lot. And his, yeah, he's 31. I'd imagine four to five more seasons, but... He's still going to be great rebounder, great shot blocker, good defender. We'll see if Minnesota can make it work. Uh, but the other center on the team that is probably going to be a pretty pretty dynamic fantasy player next next season if, if he's able to go elsewhere is Nas Reed. Uh, he started 11 times during the regular season this past year. 16.5 points, 7 rebounds, 1.8 assists, 1.4 steals, 1.0 blocks, and 1.7 threes. In just 26.1 minutes per game. Obviously, those starts came when Cat was out and Rudy Gobert was out. So it was Gobert missing games when Cat was out for his extended period of time. So if, I mean, Nas Reed's probably going to sign elsewhere. I'd imagine that another team will be willing to pay him more than Minnesota will. Um, Minnesota's expressed to what I remember expressed the intentions to bring him back, but can he, he can go start somewhere else and he can be a very, very effective fantasy player. I would try and trade for Nas Reed right now. Um, don't know exactly what his value looks like. I guess it'll vary from league to league, but I would definitely try and make a move for Nas Reed because if he signs somewhere else, then he could be a fantasy star. Could be top 
75. Uh, I'll try and be conservative here. I'll say top 100, and he's only 24 years old. So plenty of upside, plenty of time to get there. He just really needs to be opened up and given more of a role. And I don't think he'll really ever get that in Minnesota, especially with how much they've invested in Cat and Gobert. Uh, but we'll see if they're able to make that work out and if Nas Reed is able to find a different home. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Tank Me Later podcast. Uh, going so low, I did not expect to go for over an hour. I expected 30, 45 minutes, but apparently I can ramble a lot better than I thought I could. Uh, so if you stuck with me, I appreciate it. And um, this episode will be up on Friday, May 19th. Um, so be sure to like, subscribe, wherever you're listening or watching this. Um, share it, if you will. I'll be posting it on Twitter. Retweets would be awesome. Um, also, as I mentioned earlier, check out my Substack, noahrubin.substack.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at noahrubin22, where you can find plenty of basketball content, dynasty hoops content, sometimes random stats, sometimes random videos, and a lot of retweets about the Jets. But that's going to do it for this episode. And uh, thanks for listening.